We are in John this morning again. It's an amazing gospel we're going through. And if you have your Bibles and want to follow along, we're in John chapter 5. And I'm, I'm pretty excited that I get to share this with you today. It's pretty amazing, amazing passage from the Bible. I don't know how familiar you are with it. You might be. But I don't know that you think about it in the way John wants you to. So I want you to start with a little illustration to try and help you. It's this. Um, one of my kids is really into baking. I like baking, too. I like making stuff. But we were talking the other day about, you know, she's making some scones, and it was whether it was three um, little teaspoons of, of baking powder or four. And want to make the recipe right, you know, because I'm interested in the outcome. I want it to, to be right. So I'm sitting there worried about how much flour and how much baking powder, how much sugar, how much everything's going to go into this. And, and, and I'm working on that. But if at, the, at that moment when I'm doing all that stuff, there's a ring at the doorbell. And I open it up, and it's pure bliss. If you're a local person, you know pure bliss is the great maker of cakes in our little environment here. They're right down the street here, and they make the most beautiful cakes. And someone gives me a coconut chocolate cake. Sorry if you don't like coconut. You should. It's delicious. It's already made. It's made way better than I could ever make it. And and and, and I'm like, well, wait <laughs> Thanks, but wait at the door here. I'm, ba- I'm making my scones. That's a little bit like us in the Christian life. We're so focused on the things we think we need to do to make, to make sure they go right, to make sure the scones come out right. And then here comes Jesus with an amazing cake. You could never make it like this. And, and, and the wonder is, is, is will, you, will you take a bite of that? Will you receive that? I, I don't know what he's going to do with the energy that comes out of that cake. That's cool. Our problem is, is that we don't take it in. We don't see it. We don't actually receive that. Especially in three areas I want to show you from the text today. Because this is John trying to get us to see the wonder of the cake you've been given. His name is Jesus, but it's in these three areas. It's in the areas of mercy and rest and life. And, and I've called this to whom he wills, or whom he will, because, because Jesus does this amazing gift to whomever he will. And if you're sitting here today in this room and you're hearing this, he has willed. You are hearing about the wonder of the cake, and maybe you already have it, and we just need a reminder to drive into our hearts that this is where life is. Not in our cake making, but in the cake that's made. Okay, so let's look at these three areas that are in the text. It's a great story. The first one is about mercy. Mercy. Chapter 5. John, if you have your Bibles, let's look. Verse 1. This is a new section in John's gospel. Um, We're we're now skip ahead in Jesus' ministry, probably a year and a half in. Because the scene comes up and it says, after this, after the stuff of 1 through 4. There was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool, in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, paralyzed. One man was there who'd been an invalid for 38 years. Okay, this is the opening of the scene, right? So see it with me, will you? <laughs> it's incredible. It's, it's amazing what's going to happen. And you kind of know already, but, but don't miss the layout. 
So we're about a year and a half into Jesus' ministry. We're not told what feast it is he goes up to Jerusalem for, but that's why Jesus is there. And this pool called Bethesda, this flowing particular place with roofed colonnades. So, so you think, oh, how beautiful. No, really it's saying that because they're saying there's like blocking the sun a little bit. Because all the people were gathered there who didn't have a place to go. It's it's for those who have been sick or who are invalid or who are homeless and they're gathered under this space, right? The words there says, in these used to lie. That's the imperfect. It's customary. A great number of disabled people were there. That's the scene. And, and that's because in this society, there's no lighthouse mission. There's no base camp. There, there's no relief. And so there they are. They're gathered. I don't know if you noticed, depending on what Bible you have, we used the ESV. It went from verse 3 to verse 5. Did you see that? If you have the ESV, you can go, wait a minute, somebody missed a verse. You're right. There's a verse that's in here if you use the New King James or use some of the other texts that's not in the oldest manuscripts. So all people that is not even there is added later. And so don't get distracted by that. It actually is really interesting. Verse 4 says that information that, that, that an angel would come and stir the waters. And then the first person that got in the water would get healed. But it's not in the actual real Bible that's someone adding it. Why were they there? What was going on? And trying to explain the story later. It's okay. The issue is this man who'd been there for 38 years. Well, paralyzed, right? That's, by the way, life expectancy at this time. What do you think it was? Right about that. 39, 40. People live for 39 or 40 years. He's been an invalid and paralyzed for 38 years. His whole life. <laughs> He's so weak he can't walk. There's a seriousness of his conditions, and, and, and that's how it is. There's no hope for change, and his experience of life is this, and here comes Jesus. <laughs> when Jesus saw him lying there, and knew that he'd already been there a long time. He said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And when I'm going, an another steps down before me. So that was the thought, right? It was the stirring up the water and the first person to get in the pool would get, get miraculously healed. I want you to hear what he said. He didn't say yes. What he says was, I don't have anyone to help me. It's like I can't, I don't have the ability to get there fast enough. It's like a shrug almost. Like some people in the commentary said, well, he's whiny and entitled. I don't know that he is. He's like, I just don't have help. I can't get there. You know, healing is that thing over there, and I have to get there. I got to get out of my chair, or somebody's got to drag me over and get me in there before all these other guys do, and it never happens because I can't move. One commentator says this is the crotchety grumblings of an old and not very perceptive man who thinks he's answering a stupid question. Another commentator said, in terms of initiative, quick-wittedness, eager faith, and a questing mind, this invalid is the painful opposite of everything that characterizes the wonderful man in John 9. John 9, Jesus can heal someone with blind eyes. We're going to see that later. There's a reason it's like this. There's a reason why this guy, he's unworthy. 
he's paralyzed and he's unable and he needs help to get to the water. I, he doesn't really understand or even care about the water, right? I, he can't control that, but he can control the help. And, and so think about it with me. Would you just for a second think with me if somebody said that to you, you came up and said, hey, don't you want to get healed? This water gets gets roiled up every so often and people get healed when they go in. Well, I, uh, and he says, but I don't have any help. What would you do? I know what I would do. I'll sit here with you, and as soon as that water changes, I'll pick you up and throw you. We'll get you in there first. We'll have a 24-hour brigade to, to watch and see when we can get you into the water. We'll win this one, guys. We'll bake the cake. Because that's what I do, right? That's what I'm, I'm going to help. I'm going to be a helper. I'm going to be someone who, who helps. And, and, and this is what I think... The, the answer is, you know, the God stuff we can't really manage, but I can do my piece, which is to help somebody get to where the God stuff is. I can help. Let's see what Jesus does. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. I have to stop there because this is such a powerful word. This is God saying, get up. And you know what that word is? It's the word you would normally say, arise. Guess what's going to happen in the last day, you guys? The word of Christ will be arise. And who's going to get up? Everybody. This is the powerful word of Christ. This, this is all over. Jesus heals with a word. And, and, and boy, he, once it says the man got up and, and, and well, let's, let's go knock. The man got up and took up his bed and walked. It's not some, oh, the guy barely got, made it up. No. When Jesus says, get up, the guy gets up, takes his bed and cruises out of there. Oh. Now. Immediately, I start thinking, whoa, I start getting these questions kind of like this. It's like, well, why did he choose that guy? There's a multitude of paralyzed people there, and Jesus only healed that one person. You know, there's probably a thousand other people there all gathered around. Why just that guy? What did he have that the other guys didn't have? And how did he, he get Jesus to interact with him? And totally the wrong question, right? I go right back to how do I get, how do I get to get in the pool first? <laughs> The idea here, here is that there's this word that goes out. Arise. It's the same word that, that is in other places. Here it is in Luke chapter 7 verse 14. Jesus comes to the widow's son who's died and touches the coffin and says, Young man, I say to you, arise. That word arise is the same word. Get up. What happens when he says it? The guy rises from the dead. He arose. He got up. In Romans 8, one of our favorite Bible passages says, Who's the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised. Who what? Got up. That's the word. Same word. Or, or in 2 Corinthians 1, it says, Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who does what? Gets up the dead. Raises. Do you see what it's saying? Do you see what it's saying to you and me? Here's Jesus. And with a word, he raises the dead. That exactly parallels the thing that's going to happen to you and me. When Jesus says raise, guess what God does? He raises the dead. Ephesians 2 says that same power is on you and me. What do I need? I need the word of Christ to say, get up. Why did he say that? 
Was it the guy had a special characteristic that made him more worthy of that word than someone else? Don't you dare think that, right? It doesn't say that in the text. All of the life is about inability. I can't get to the pool. It's right there. Come on, get in, get healed. I, I, don't, I don't have anyone. And so Jesus, with a word, raises him. He didn't ask for it. He didn't earn it. It wasn't a great deserving person. In fact, the guy's kind of presented as a little bit of a negative person in the text itself. We'll see some more about that. It's about mercy. That's what we get, right? We worship this Jesus. He breaks in. He he does it all. He doesn't help. He does it. And, And don't think this is just some random healing. This is a sign. It's a sign of something very specific for you and me. Keep going. Because this is remarkable. So once the man was healed, he took up his bed and walked. So there he is. He's going. He got it. He got strength. It's amazing. It's a sign. Look, Jesus speaks and things happen. Now that day was the Sabbath. Oh. So the Jews said to the man who'd been healed, it's the Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to take up your bed. You can't do that on the Sabbath. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. So they asked him, well, who's the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? man who'd been healed didn't know who it was because Jesus had withdrawn. There was a crowd in that place. And so afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well, sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. (laughs) Okay, wait a minute. This is a remarkable story, right? Because here's the guy. Just think if someone said to you, rise and be healed. You've been, you've been paralyzed for 38 years. And all of a sudden, there you are, finding your body leaping up from the ground, grabbing your bed and walking. And then you're like, I don't know who it was. Dude, I would go find that person. I'd say, thank you. At least I want to know who it was. Like I want my other friends, you know, there's a hundred and third, maybe a thousand other people that are gathered around this pool. And he's like, I want them to meet this guy. Don't even know who he is. Not the greatest of characters. But Jesus has what Jesus has entered in. Jesus has done it. Now he did it on the Sabbath. Don't think for a second he didn't do it on purpose on the Sabbath, right? We're talking about the Son of God. He does exactly what he wants. He healed this man on the Sabbath. And these Pharisees come in. These leaders come in. The Jews come in. I guess I still want you to see in this section, we'll come back to the Sabbath, but in this section, the issue, the issue is for you and for me is, is what, what does Jesus really want for the guy? Because Jesus's concern isn't, look, I've healed you. Go pass it forward. I've done a kindness. Go do a kindness to someone else. His concern isn't make sure you tell everybody about me. You know, I healed you so you can go tell everyone about me. His his concern is his urgent statement that he makes, right? See, you're well. He did that by his word, Jesus did. And then he says to the man, sin no more. That, that nothing worse may happen to you. 
Worse is coming. You're sick because of the, the, the sin that you do and the world does upon you and mankind does and this sin is bad. You should not do it, right? No question anywhere in life that you should ever think sin is good. And Jesus says, stop sinning to the man. You guys don't, I mean, think about it with me. Is he going to? So when God tells us don't sin, he has told you that, you know. It's in the Ten Commandments. He said don't sin. God said don't sin. There's all these things that say don't sin. And the Bible says that one of the messages of the Bible, it's called the law. It says you keep sinning. So Jesus tells this man, stop sinning because it's terrible for you and bad things happen to you. And we know the guy's response should be what? Same thing he told Jesus about his inability to get off his bed. I can't. I can't get to the pool. I can't stop sinning. Jesus, you're telling me to do something I can't do. I know I should. I know I should never do it. I, I, I want to walk. I want to run. I want to run. But, but I can't move. Similarly, I want to not sin. I want to be perfect. I want to not have all these things I say, these things I think, these things I do. And, and I should be saying, no, I'll never do them. I never want to do them ever. Okay, Jesus, I won't lie immediately. <laughs> right? That, that's the thing. There's no way. It's going to just take the mercy of Christ. And guess who's talking to him? Jesus Christ, who's going to go to the cross and shed his blood so that in mercy, everyone who looks to him can live. That's called a sign. The lesser to the greater. The word of Christ to say arise just by mercy on this man in his life. The word to you and me to say arise is just on this reality of we'll receive it, right? The cake's there. I baked it for you. Here it is. Have a bite. Mercy. That that's this first piece, right? What's your hope when a reprieve comes? I'll go and try not to sin anymore. Good luck. Because that's what this sign is actually saying. Only Jesus. The mercy of Jesus who will die for our sin. Okay, that's, that's a big deal. That's a huge deal. But it's not the end of our text, actually. It's a, it's a really interesting thing. He starts to come in and say, it's not just about receiving mercy from Jesus. This is our life. But, but it's also about rest. This is really important for you and me. What do you think rest is? So many of us are so tired. So, so I, w- I want to pick it up with this idea of rest because it comes right in and it's connected, right? It's connected. Do I think Jesus is going to help me get to the pool, bake the cake, do so, or do I think he's giving it to me? Verse 15 says, the man went away and told the Jews it was Jesus who'd healed him. So that's the upshot of Jesus talking to the guy in the temple. Oh, that's you who healed me. Okay, so he goes and tells the Jews that. And, and this is why the Jews are persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. So we need to come back to the Sabbath for a minute. It's an interesting topic, the Sabbath. The Sabbath is, is um, for the Jews, Saturday. For us Christians, usually Sunday. We think the Christian Sabbath. It's a day of rest, right? I mean, this is why the Jews are angry at Jesus. It's not initially that Jesus is working. It's that, it's that the guy is working. The guy picked up his, his bed and walked with it, and that, that constituted work for the Pharisees. 
And there were 39 classes they have of things to protect the Sabbath, to keep it holy. You're going to make sure people don't work on the Sabbath. They made rules and regulations. One of them was, if you're, uh, if you're not allowed to actually pick up and carry heavy things, that's called work. Force over distance, you know, ergs. And so there it is. And it's the Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to be taking up your bed. And Jesus told him to do it. So it wasn't long before the man said, well, this person that healed me, he told me to. And Jesus did. So did he tell him to do it? It was prohibited. There's a lot of argument around this. Let let me show you the, the passage in Exodus. This is where this comes from. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. None of you guys work. That's not unclear. The Old Testament forbade work on the Sabbath. And work seems to have referred to sort of your customary employment. And so this rabbinic opinion they had in Jesus' day, into these 39 classes of work, which included carrying or taking anything from one domain to another, except for like compassion reasons, like you're going to carry someone who's sick. It's super easy for us to say that's that's ridiculous. They're too tight. That wasn't really work. That wasn't really something that was wrong. But you've got to realize what they're trying to do so strongly. What they're trying to do so strongly is to decide who Jesus is. I, I say that because, because the whole thinking of the law was given by God. We know that. I know these rules reflect what we are supposed to do and obey. And if God came and had a servant or somebody that came, he was going to follow all of these things over here. He was going to do them all. So they're waiting. Jesus should make sure he does. And then if he violates that, then obviously he's not from God. That's the argument, right? Like he would be even more precise and more, more specific than we would be. God isn't going to violate the command that he gave. The command was, don't do this on the Sabbath. So God's representative would have used another day. I mean, how simple could it be to come on? The guy's been a paralytic for 38 years. That's a ton of Mondays. Come heal him that day. So this conflict, right? Jesus can't be from God if he's not following the law because the law is over everything. The law is how we know if he's doing right. And Jesus doesn't care how much he heals. I don't care if he does crazy things. If he's not following the law of God. So I expect that Jesus is going to do this. Come with me. I expect he's going to do this. They say, man, you're, you're violating the Sabbath. I expect him to say, you guys are out in left field. It's not wrong for someone to carry their bed on the Sabbath. He's not working. That's a wrong interpretation of Exodus 20. That's what I expect him to say. Right? Look what he says. Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. Whoa. I know you don't get it. I know, I know, I know, I know. But that's a slap in the face. Take your Sabbath, and I get to work on it. Whoa. 
<laughs> wait a minute. That, that, oh, that doesn't compute. Right? He doesn't go after them for their interpretation of Exodus 20 or their lack of interest in the miracle. He points directly to something deeper and foundational for you and me to walk away with this morning. He's not arguing, not here, that their interpretation of the Sabbath is incorrect. That's amazing. He just insists that whatever factors justify God's continuing work justifies his. Whoa. Now, you may not think much of this, you may have thought of this, but the whole idea that the rabbis had at the day is that the Sabbath was our keeping, our cooking, our baking, our making. In order to keep it holy, we need to do these things because God was working now. Births, creation continues, all of those things, right? But he established this back in creation when he took one day off in Genesis. And so it's it's not the idea that you're going to enjoy God, like somehow get recharged, because God didn't take a break because he was tired. It was to honor God. So what is Jesus saying? Because it's really important. If you can get it, this is a big deal. So Jesus says, I'm working until now. He's saying, I'm equal to God. That's certainly true. But he's also saying, it's okay that he's working. What is he working on? We know from Hebrews what it is. That Jesus right now holds everything together by the word of his power, right? Everything. Why is he having to hold everything together? Because there's this thing in the world called sin. What does Jesus come to do? Work on what? Removing sin. He's come to earth to save people from sin. So, so here he is, right? There's this sin in the world, and God continues to work because of it. And every scripture, every Sabbath points to Jesus. So Jesus being the Redeemer, sent to take away the sin of the world. He's restoring. He's making a way for a new creation, one without sin. Back to what God is stepping back and saying, this is good, again, with, with no reservations about sin. And so the Bible claims there remains a rest for the people of God. That's in Hebrews chapter 4. And the people who believe Jesus enter into that rest. So even though God had, had said, I, I'm, it is finished, I, I'm, I'm at rest, he says that I refuse to enter my rest in Hebrews because of the sin of the world. And so here's Jesus, and he says, the things I'm doing are that so you can enter your rest. Where's that rest? That rest is where sin is gone. Where is sin gone? In Christ. That's a very amazing thing that Jesus is pushing them towards about what the Sabbath is. We rest in God's finished work. That's what the Sabbath is, right? God worked for six days. On the seventh, he took it off and said, this is good. It is finished. Even that work pointed to the great work where, where it's not about restored creation and people walking. It's about not sinning anymore and no sin. And where do we get our sinlessness? In Christ. Right now, today, you can have rest. What's that in? Trusting that Jesus paid for all your sin. Come on, breathe it. (sighs) I'm so ready to be done with this body and sin and death. By trust, by faith, I trust that Jesus has done it. 
This is real rest, a rest from dead works, a joyful participation in the salvation that's already dawned in Christ. That's what Jesus is saying. That's what your Sabbath is. To, to, to rejoice in Christ, right? Because right here and now I continue to struggle against sin. I work on the Sabbath. I work on the Sabbath. What do I work not to do? Sin. Never stop working. I hope you never do too. I don't think you can. That temptation remains on Sunday to turn on the computer and look at something really stupid and wrong. The temptation remains to lust after money. The temptation remains to go do whatever it is that sin pulls you into. It doesn't stop. And what do I do? I fight it. You should too. And then comes this word. It's finished. He did it for you. His blood covers you. And we get a few moments here in this place and around other believers, even though it's just as true out there, to say, you know what, I'm at rest. Why am I at rest? Because Jesus actually did it and it worked. (sighs) Can't wait for the day when it's not faith anymore, but it's sight. That's rest. So I'll tell you what, these, it's the same thought, isn't it? It's that my rest doesn't come from me trying to get rid of the sin because I can't. The rest comes from me knowing Jesus has. He is my sabbatismo, is my rest. So that's two things. The first, mercy, Christ alone. The second, rest. And, and, and then there's third, life. Life. I don't, did I read that already? Yeah. See, this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, right? Not only because he was breaking the Sabbath. Okay, now we've turned on the Sabbath. But also this incredible statement. He's even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. This is... Jesus comes along, right, and says, I'm taking you to pure bliss. I made you the cake. Rest. And in that rest isn't just mercy. and It's also life itself. This is life. This is what it is. This becomes the issue, Sabbath breaking and I am equal to God. So two competing ways of getting life. One is to get it by law keeping because our idea of what God the Father is, is that he gave these rules back in the day and he wants us to follow them. And he says, if you follow them, I'll bless you. And if you don't, I'll curse you. And and this whole method that they were thinking is I have to obey or my father will give us away back to Babylon. So we have these two ideas of God. and Most of the time it is split along these lines. I see it a lot. People think, oh, when I think of God the Father, I get kind of upset because I know my Father's looking at me with some anger. But I think of Jesus. Oh, praise God for Jesus. He like stands between me and this angry Father. People think that's why. It's wrong. Father sent Jesus. They're the same. They're, they're together. They're, they're three in one. It's the Trinity, right? The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. The Father has a heart of love towards you, just like the Son does. In fact, the proof of it is Jesus. But people think, oh, there's the Father, and then there's Jesus, and, and they're kind of, if, if they're a little at odds with each other, because Jesus is trying to love you, and the Father's trying to show wrath, and they're, they're, hopefully Jesus wins. <laughs> no way. But if you think that way, Especially if you're not sure about Jesus, you'll think, oh, i got to appease the Father. And so here's what Jesus says. 
Jesus says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. They're the same. Right? For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He Himself is doing. And greater works than these will He show Him so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom He will. Stop. Whoa. I know the Father will raise people in the last day. He is the God of the universe who made everything. And, and, and if you think, well, Jesus is that too, that's good. But now Jesus is saying, wait, I actually have the authority. The Son gives life to whom He will. Who is that? I mean, that's a legitimate question that should be deep in your heart. And, and, and I think, honestly, is in many of our hearts. Has Jesus really given life to me? I struggle with life. I, I'm struggling over here or my circumstances are bad. Does God really love me? Does Jesus? Maybe I'm not one of the chosen. Maybe I'm a frozen chosen. Maybe I'm not really. Did he... I want an answer to that question, whom he will. Because this is life. And if it says to me, and I believe it, I believe it. I hope you do too. The son gives life. I'm representing that by this beautiful, pure bliss cake. The son gives you the cake. Has he given it to you? Who? Who does he will? This is the question of our life. It's directly from Jesus. Who does he give it to? Do you have it? Does he give it to motivated people? Does he give it to focused people? Does he give it to people who get to the water? Well, I know that's not true. It's really only and entirely Jesus. Uh, and it can't be then about the keeping of this law, of doing what the Father said, or else he'll get mad at me. That can't be the mode that we're in anymore. He says, for the Father judges no one. Yeah, that went too fast. Come back. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. It's only Jesus. That all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son doesn't honor the Father who sent him. Yet the reason why the Son gives life is because the authority to give life is a result of the authority to judge. Jesus judges He's the one. The office of the judge is given to the Son by the Father, he says. So the glorification of the Son is precisely what glorifies the Father. And, and we can see that in other places like Philippians 2. We won't go there this morning. We're almost done. But this is so important for you and I to see that everything is Jesus. Everything is Jesus. And Jesus says, I give life to who I want to. And the way that he gives life is not to some worthy person like the person who's really coming and saying, Jesus, I'll follow you so well. No, he goes out and grabs somebody and says, get up. Who doesn't even deserve it? Who is that person? Here's what I'm going to submit to you that the Bible says that person is. The person who hears. You know how incredible that is? Here's why that's incredible. You're sitting in this room. What are you doing? You're hearing. You're hearing about Jesus. And Jesus comes and the word itself does what's supposed to happen. He's the judge, and he says, I choose who I want to, and this is what it means, those who are going to hear. This is it. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word 
and believes he who sent me has eternal life. He doesn't come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. This is the amazing statement Jesus closes this whole little story with, and John puts it all together for us to say, this unworthy man rose, and we will rise, and we will have eternal life if what we do is just trust him. We trust Jesus and this word that we've heard. This is amazing. This is life. So today, as, as, as we shut this down, I, it just these three things, you know, we're so tempted in our own hearts to make mercy about help. Like, I, I, it's not. It's Jesus, help and mercy aren't the same. Mercy is what Jesus does in reaching into your life and speaking to you the word of the gospel, the good news, that your sin is forgiven. He, he's got the cake for you. Here, have it. See your sin, will you? And and see your inability, will you? And hear the word. And, and then rest. Rest isn't isn't another way to work. That's what we make it, you know. I'm going to be accountable and make sure I glorify God on this day. No, it's relaxing into the arms of Christ. Realizing that your sin has been paid for, this sin that you work against all the time, rightly so. Work away. But to realize I can't, and Jesus, I'm so glad that you can, and you have. Saved me, paid for my sins. And then life isn't a goal to attain by law-keeping or moral goodness, proving your belonging. You belong because Jesus says you do. His word to you. Even through the lips of this stupid preacher. (laughs) To say the word of the Bible is a word from Christ to say, I've paid it all, will you trust me? And if you do, if you taste that cake, if you take in that cake, amazing things will happen with you. I don't even know what they are because the Holy Spirit takes you wherever. But I know this. Fantastic. Good works. Good fruit. Because this is the way of life. Would you pray with me?